Relax. You're quite safe here. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether you're doing it at cnjradio.com or you're subscribed and leaving a star rating and review on iTunes and never missing one single episode. Thank you, especially everybody who does that. Speaking of everybody, I love all you people that tune into the show. You're all friends of mine. I do have a special friend out there, and I don't give him nearly enough credit publicly on the show. Even despite the fact that I've had this gentleman on the show before, and even did his Desert Island album list, I still feel like I don't give nearly enough shout-outs to the great Tino Fella over there in the Netherlands. Tino, you're, you're a good friend, and you always have supported the show, and... I, I was trying to figure out a way to, you know, almost kind of do like a yearly thanks to you. And I shot you an email over there, and you, you write so many great emails. They always make my week. So I know Tino, like myself, and hopefully like a lot of you out there, big fan of Anthrax. And Anthrax has a new album out this year, uh, just recently, For All Kings. You should go pick it up. Uh, and I'll talk about For All Kings on a future episode, because of course I got a new music episode coming up around the bend. But we're going to do a history of all of the other Anthrax studio albums. The first ten studio albums. And like I mentioned Tino earlier, this entire episode is completely 100% curated by the great Tino Fella of the Netherlands. Because... Uh, for multiple reasons. I gave you one earlier, and the other one is I would have a super hard time trying to pick out uh, a great history of Anthrax and their studio albums. I think Tino did a great job, and he gets the theme of the show not going too obvious. And with the exception of one song, zero singles on this list. So I dig that. So looking forward to having you guys check out this particular episode for those of you, even if you're a big fan or you're a casual listener or you've only heard maybe a handful of Anthrax songs over the years, I think you're going to enjoy this episode. And as with any song, turn it up as loud as you can. We're going to start off with, honestly, my least favorite Anthrax album of all time, which is their first album. I may not be alone in this. I know myself and Eddie Trunk probably are not. Uh, Fistful of Metal, there's some good songs on there. But it's one of those things. I am one of those fans that is not a fan of Neil Turbin's singing voice. It just, uh, you know, there's a story that's gone around that Eddie Trunk wrote a letter to Johnny Z of Megaforce saying, I love Anthrax, I just don't like their singer. And I'm I'm glad they listened, (laughs) if that's the case. If he gets credit for it, I'll give him full credit and say thank you, Mr. Trunk, because Joey Belladonna was a way better fit for Anthrax than Neil Turbin was. I'm not hating on Neil like all the way. I'm I'm sure he's a nice enough guy. Who knows? But yeah, just uh, not my cup of tea. Like I said, there's some good songs on Fistful of Metal. Like I like trying to maybe like put together a playlist of the Fistful of Metal songs with the different singers. I know Bush has recorded some stuff and Joey's recorded some stuff too. So yeah, you know, 
it, it's proof in there when when those guys are singing. So I figured I would play this version. I'm actually not going to play you the Fistful of Metal version of Tino's pick, but I'm going to move over to the Armed and Dangerous EP for for reasons such as this. And the Armed and Dangerous EP is Joey Belladonna's debut with the band. He does re-record some of the Fistful of Metal songs on the Armed and Dangerous EP. However, there in the 92 reissue, there were a couple of bonus tracks that, that still have Neil singing on them, which is actually from their first ever single that they released, which was Soldiers of Metal and Howling Furies. Now, Tino picked Howling Furies as his favorite song off of Fistful of Metal. Good pick. And I'm going to represent Fistful of Metal with the Armed and Dangerous version. So here's the lineup for this. And this is why I'm playing it. You know, Of course, I was not lucky enough to uh, get my hands on the first ever single. I'm sure there's very few out there. For those of you New Yorkers out there, let me know if you have this 45 or 12 inch or whatever it is. Uh, but the lineup on this particular version uh, is, uh, is, from what I understand, Dan Spitz and Scott Ian on guitar. On bass, you got Dan Lilker, Neil Turbin singing, and on drums, Greg D'Angelo, not Charlie Bonante. Charlie is not an original member. Of course, Charlie like writes, you know, a lot of the music for the band and has so since he joined the band. But yeah, I remember listening to this going, this does not sound like Charlie. And yeah, Greg D'Angelo. For those of you who may not know, Greg D'Angelo is more well known as the drummer for White Lion back in the day. So. Fun fact here. He's a New York guy. He was originally an anthrax. So there you go. So kicking off this history of anthrax in chronological order from Fistful of Metal. But this version is the single version from the Armed and Dangerous EP, 1983. Yeah, 33 years ago. This is Howling Furies by Anthrax. Check it out.
kicking off the show here this week. That was the original recorded lineup of Anthrax and Howling Furies. You can find that track on the Armed and Dangerous EP, whether it's the 92 reissue or the one from the 2000s. If you get the one from the 2000s, it does also include the full-length Fistful of Metal. Not very remastered, so I will just say a reissue, not a remaster. I had to turn that one up quite a bit to get it to match even close sonically with the rest of the tracks on this episode. So it's, it's a shitty reissue in that sense that it's not remastered. So there you go. If you're, if you're a sound geek like myself, it does matter. So on the other side of that spectrum, uh, some of these, uh, you know, whether I'm using reissues or the anthology release for a lot of these. So that anthology, No Hit Wonders Collection, very good 101 of the Joey years, uh, at least the initial 80s Joey years. Get that collection. And I remember hearing some of these versions, and it was definitely almost like hearing it new for the very first time. That sounds very cliche, but this is one of those kind of tracks. And I'm really glad that Tino picked this song to represent the great album from 1985, Spreading the Disease. Love Spreading the Disease. Uh, Actually, you know, and I'm not hating on Among the Living. You know, Among the Living is considered like the peak of the 80s Joey years, but I, I have to disagree. I mean, I think Spreading the Disease is a better album. Like the the non-favorites, you know, favorites, the, the non-singles or the non-set list favorites in here, I think far outweigh the ones that don't get played live from the Among the Living record. This is proof positive right here. A song that should be in the set list still because it just kicks so much ass. And I love the sound quality on this, so turn this one up. From spreading the disease, this is Medusa.
Oh, for those of you out there that thought I might have been really hard on Neil Turbin earlier in the show, I think that put that argument to rest. I was merely just being fair. You hear Medusa versus Howling Furies. It's just night and day. This band grew so much in two years, and it's just great to hear stuff like that. But yeah, now they've settled on the 80s lineup. Joey Belladonna on vocals, Dan Spitzley guitar, Scott Ian rhythm guitar and backing vocals, Frank Bello on bass and backing vocals, and of course the great Charlie Bonante on drums. Great record spreading the disease. There's a two-disc deluxe out of that. Go pick that one up. Like I said, if you're still a little, you know, you want to dip your toe, you got to get Anthrology, if, if anything else, for sure. And, yeah, can't say enough nice things about Armed and Dangerous. It is a true thrash metal classic. All right, but we're going to move on to Among the Living. Like I said, not hating on Among the Living. I just think it's overrated uh, when people discuss Anthrax's catalog. So it's nitpicking, but that's just how I feel. But here's another great track, once again, picked by the great Tino fella. And I'm not going to talk too much, really, on these uh, these breaks here because I love me some Anthrax, but uh, they have some lengthy tunes, let's just say. So there's like an hour's worth of music just on this episode alone, pretty much. At least if you round it up, it's an hour. So representing Among the Living from 1987, this is Skeleton in the Closet.
There you go. A Skeleton in the Closet, of course, by Anthrax from 1987's Among the Living. I think another thing that makes Among the Living great really truly is the album cover, which even when I was a kid and I had just seen Poltergeist 2, I was like, that's the Reverend Henry Kane. That super creepy fucking old guy. Still scares me to this day. I will admit that. Great album cover. And even though the, the title track of Among the Living is definitely in the, you know, in the liner notes of the record, which I still remember, I have it memorized, it's based on Randall Flagg of The Stand, I still believe that the guy on the cover is actually Henry Kane, not Randall Flagg. And speaking of Stephen King, of course, they also mentioned in those liner notes that Skeleton in the Closet is based on the Stephen King novella at Pupil that is actually... And now, since I've been working at a bookstore the last few years, I've also now memorized, in addition to the Anthrax liner notes, that that particular story comes from different seasons by Stephen King. All right. You know, I, I love that they wear their influences on their sleeves, and they get them from different places. And that's another thing, is to me, why Anthrax was always my favorite of the quote-unquote Big Four. Now, I love me some Big Four, but Anthrax, to me, is the best band of the four. I will always say that. Uh, they just seemed like they were having more fun. And, you know, not you know the image, the board shorts, the flying Vs with the Ninja Turtles on the guitars. You know, they're big Kiss fans. You know, Scott Ian would wear fishbone t-shirts. And I just, I love all that shit. And I think that that is refreshing in, in a genre like heavy metal where they can definitely take themselves too seriously and be more morose than they really should have to. That's how I feel about it. We're moving on here, you know, and, you know, try not to gloss over, you know, we're talking about the studio albums, and try not to gloss over, like I talked about the Armed and Dangerous EP, they put out the I'm the Man single between, you know, right around the same time, I can't never remember if it's before or after I'm on the Living when I'm the Man came out, but course i'm the man super important super ahead of its time as far as crossing into the heavy metal genre but uh, 1988 uh, i know they had quite a bit of success and you know at least in record sales with state of euphoria i mean they even got some mtv love i remember seeing andy social like on dial mtv not just headbangers ball and also I, I remember seeing uh who cares wins on dial mtv not not for as long as andy social but it was nice that it was on there and, you know, that, that one definitely got played on the ball a whole lot more. But 
And, you know, why wouldn't they? I remember Headbangers Ball did a lot of crossover. I think they even did the Headbangers Ball tour, right? That sounds right. Uh, But representing the 1988 release, State of Euphoria, picked by the great Tino fella, here is Finale, or as it, you know, kind of said in the song, Finally. So here you go. Check it out.
right. One of the great album closers in metal history. Finally, or finale, by Anthrax there. Prevalent. Prevalent. All right. State of Euphoria. Good record. I remember Scott Ian actually bashing that record at some point. I want to say like in a Metal Sludge interview or something like that, or a Kanak interview back in the early 2000s. But maybe it's because like people would always come up to him and say, oh yeah, I love that record. I bought that record. Like That one sold a lot of records. Uh, maybe that's why, but there's there's some damn good tunes on that. So I, I recommend going back and listening to State of Euphoria for sure, if you haven't in a long time. And that song is proof positive of that statement. Wrapping up the original Joey Belladonna lineup, at least as a full studio thought, you know, of course there was Attack of the Killer Bees right after that, uh, but the uh, last album of new material with Joey Belladonna before he got ousted was The Great Persistence of Time, and uh, sort of like what uh, Iron Maiden had started to do a few years before this, you know, the songs got even longer, uh, the arrangements got more progressive, you know, more serious, honestly. They didn't seem like they were as jokey on this record as they were on the other ones. Maybe on stage, it really hadn't changed that much. You know, like if you see the Belly of the Beast video, they're still, it seems like they're still having fun, you know. And I love that video, by the way. Great road video. But the, the subject matter of the whole album is definitely dark. Very socially conscious. And maybe it's a product of... You know, Middle East stuff and a combination of the 90s rolling around and people aren't being as wacky and goofy. So just some theory in that, but that that's what I take from Persistence of Time. But I, I think it's a metal classic at this point. And Tino picked track number two off of that record, right between Time and Keep It in the Family. There's a really cool song here. A nice little seven-minute ditty. This is Blood.
Blood off of Persistence of Time from 1990. Of course, great record. I'm I'm a fan. I went through the whole journey of that record and still love listening to it to this day. And as this happens, you know, it's weird. It's three years between releases from this one to the next one. But of course, it was almost necessary because a year after that, about a year and a half after Persistence of Time, you get Attack of the Killer Bees, which... I think that album is is good enough to almost be just put in as a regular catalog record. It's considered like an EP, even though it's full length. But, you know, it's like half covers, a couple of live tracks, stuff like that. Some redos. But I think it's one of those weird odds and ends records that really belongs with the rest of the the catalog for some reason. I just Maybe it's because I love it so much. I am biased, I will say. But as we are making this journey through the discography, I would... Heavily recommend getting Attack of the Killer Bees, for sure. And now we're moving on into the John Bush years. So, And I'm a fan of both singers. I love Joey, and I love John. I think they were perfect fits for the eras that they are, are in the band. Uh, in a perfect world, I would love to go see Anthrax live and get two different sets by both singers, but that's that's not going to happen. It's just That's just the way it is. I understand it. Uh, but, you know, at the time, it was perfect. I was ready for a new singer myself, or at least uh, they convinced me that I was. And Sound of White Noise, easily their best-selling album of the John Bush years. And I I, I don't think it's the best one, but it's, it's a damn fine record. I think it's very, very good. And I would be hard-pressed to pick something off of this album that says this represents the album as a whole. I think Tino did a very good job. This is a cool song, and for me... A very personal song at the time, and I'll explain why afterwards, but until then, this is Anthrax now with John Bush on vocals, and this is Packaged Rebellion.
sorry for those of you who were really hoping to hear High Pro Glow just then, because I know I was. But regardless, that was Packaged Rebellion by Anthrax, of course, from the 1993 record Sound of White Noise, their most successful post-Joey Belladonna record, still to this day, I believe, especially as far as sales go. Maybe not so much acclaimed, but most successful. And uh, moving on here, 1995, the Stomp 442 record, which, you know, I would have to say, out of all the John Bush records, this is my least favorite. That being said, you know, it's half and half for me. Half very, very good and half forgettable or just kind of there. But, yeah, the half that's good is great. And this is one of those songs for sure. And I'm not just saying that because Tino picked it. This is one of those songs It's like, well, the label just gave up on the band and didn't want to pay any money to have this on radio. But I think this would have been a big song for radio. Matter of fact, you know, I, I did hear Fueled a handful of times on the radio, but that song should have been huge. Fueled, I think, is one of the best songs they've ever done. It's just super fucking cool. You know, I don't think that there's any, any coincidence that Metallica did a song called Fuel a couple of years later uh, that isn't as good but the same kind of approach exactly so there you go trying to create some controversy and shock radio here but but despite all that this is uh like i said the second single from stomp 442 and a great pick by tino the song is called nothing Your fingers in your ears and create a noise. 
All right, there you go. Some nothing off of Stomp 442, 1995. And FYI, that was Charlie Bonante on lead guitar. Charlie actually played uh, a good portion of lead guitar on this album, about a about a easily about a third, I, I want to say. I know Dimebag did the leads on Riding Shotgun and King Size, if I'm not mistaken. I always thought that was him on Random Access Senseless Violence, too, but apparently that's Paul Crook. I had to go look that up, actually. But, yeah, Paul Crook, uh, who I saw them live with Paul on the Volume 8 tour. So, good segue there, because we're going to talk about Volume 8. Now, this is what I like to call a great heavy metal record. And I think it's one of the best representations of what Anthrax is in a nutshell. It's, uh, I, I think it was either Charlie or Scott doing an interview for Volume 8 in Metal Edge, probably, because that was the only magazine that gave a shit about him consistently throughout the 90s, at least in America. But uh, they were talking about the Volume 8 record, saying that we, we thought that the Attack of the Killer Bees release was so fun, and it's really one of the most fun albums to listen to top to bottom in the Anthrax catalog, that they set out to basically make an album of all originals that would be stylistically similar to the sort of like genre journey that you take when listening to Killer Bees. And I think they did their job, uh, you know, very, very well. It's, I consider it a success. You know, they were on a shitty label that literally folded when the album came out. So this album never really had a chance. Even when they got the rights to it later and reissued it out again by themselves, it just... I don't think it ever found any kind of audience, at least outside of the hardcore fan base, which is a damn shame. This is a great heavy metal record. One of the best heavy metal records of the last 20 years. You should have this record. Volume 8, The Threat is Real. Great pick, Tino, because if if you're going to talk about this record, you just start from the top. The opening track off of Volume 8, and it does. It's called Crush.
All right, the opening track from Volume 8 from 1998. That was Crush by the Great Anthrax. So fucking great right there. I I was lucky enough to see them on that tour. They played this club that I've referred to on previous episodes called Trees. One of the greatest concert experiences of all time in my lifetime. I went there with my brother Chris there. And we're on the sidelines like trees just have this thing where there's like a walkway and now it's a VIP area where everybody can like, you know, have the bird's eye view. But back then the people could go up there. But I do remember like standing by one of the pillars. That's always my, my go-to. Like if I'm going to get as close as I can at a place like trees, I'm not a pit guy. So if you go off to the sides, it's always understood. You're not in the pit. The pit is in the middle, always has been, and always should be. So go in there, Stand under the pillar. It's right by the exit doors or the emergency exit doors and, and a great view of the stage overall. Show is slamming. Uh, they come out to crush. They, they, they play that first. So beautiful. Great set list. I remember them playing a lot of stuff off, off of Volume 8 and well received. And uh, the whole show, you know, hey, not for nothing, but I was shoulder to shoulder with Dimebag Daryl the entire night. And it was just like two dudes, you know, two... Two just metal fans, two Anthrax fans, and that's how Dime was. I've talked about this at length before, but it's just two dudes. And Among the Living comes on, we're singing every word. Love this song, yeah, man, I love this song too. I mean, it was just all night, you know. And the only difference is he got to go out on stage, you know, with Vinny later on and do Cold Gen, another great moment. But uh, yeah, one of the great concert memories of all time, Volume Eight tour anthrax vision of disorder opened up i believe i'm almost positive about that great night great night moving on and uh, just like volume eight i could say the same thing just go, basically just go back and rewind to listen to how much i raved about volume eight it's exactly the same thing i would say about we've come for you all 2003 i believe like five years after volume eight this album is amazing it's I just don't understand how uh, such a tight-knit community as the heavy metal community hasn't just risen up and made this one of the great classics of all time at this point. We've Come For You All is the crowning achievement of the John Bush era, and more people should discover this record. It's, It's just great. Can't rave enough about it. So Tino picked the title track, as good of a track as any, not a clunker on it, in my opinion. I saw them on this tour as well. It was front fucking row at this underground club in Dallas. And uh, if you want a good idea of what that show was like, then get Music of Mass Destruction, that CD, DVD. Great set. That's about what I saw. But another great concert moment. So here you go. Closing out the John Bush era is the great We've Come For You All. <laughs> Such mediocrity Things are what they seem sometimes And every waking dream Repeating central theme If we don't wake up to Go! 
Thanks again, Tino, for that great choice to represent We've Come For You All, the title track, which is officially listed as WCFYA. So I guess you have to pay by the letter. I don't know. But, yeah, I failed to mention, actually, that they were in such turmoil with having just a permanent lead guitar player at the time that by the time We Come For You All came out, they had uh, gotten Rob Caggiano to be the lead guitar player. And he made such a great contribution to the band. I believe he had a hand in the production on We've Come For You All and also had a big hand in the production on the great Joey Belladonna comeback album, Worship Music. The term worship is a very close verb, if you will, uh, if there has to be one like that or similar to when it comes to records. Uh, I have a massive affinity and love for the Worship Music album. As much as I do, we've come for you all. Uh, I was excited that it, it appeared that the band was going to get some decent attention for having a record back with Joey Belladonna on the vocals. And for myself as a fan, I was a little nervous. I felt like it could be a step back, especially after those phenomenal John Bush records. I know Chris felt the same way. We talked about this on uh, previous episodes. I think he even was such a staunch fan of those two records that it took him a while to actually come around on worship music, which I, I, you know, I, I understand his point of view, but it was love at first listen for me. I, I remember still just having it on the headphones, listening to it top to bottom, being blown the fuck away by this. And I, and I understand even the fact that. Uh, Joey's position in the band at this time was singing over music that had already been recorded and had already been sang on by a lead singer who didn't work out, let's just say. And it had to be an unenviable position to be in, you know, kind of like when Vince Neil came back to Motley Crue. He's basically just singing over music that wasn't written when he was in the band. So it's got to be weird. I understand it, but you don't hear it. When you hear this album, it sounds like a super collaborative effort. The songs are freaking massive and epic, and everything that makes a great heavy metal album is in worship music. So, love this album. And then, you know, out of nowhere, I'm like, hey, there's some space left. The track's still going. And then, then you, you finish off with a surprise ghost track cover, and no one does ghost tracks anymore, but a ghost track cover version of New Noise by Refuse? What the fuck? I mean, just made it a 10. Just 100 points, right? A perfect album. So I would, I've played quite, probably about at least half the record I've played on Rock Strikes 10 at some point. And I haven't played this one yet. And Tino picked this. Great track. Great way to end the show. So what else can you say? I'll stop rambling and just play the track. Closing off the show, our Anthrax discography history. This is The Giant.
closing off our anthrax special this week curated by the great tino fella that was the giant from worship music 2010 i believe that sounds right 2010 2011 not quite sure somewhere around there the early teens all right man and and if for you kids out there listening starting bands start metal bands you hear that there right there in the middle that's that's what we call a course and melody uh I'm big on that with my heavy metal. You could be as heavy as you want in them verses. Throw in a hook, throw in a chorus I can sing along to, and you'll have me for life. All right. That's my opinion. And if you're listening out there, that's why you're probably tuning in. All right. Well, the music, of course, uh, is better than anything I could do on the mic. So I want to thank Anthrax for a great catalog. If you're curious about For All Kings and you haven't heard it yet, and how haven't you, stick around. In a few weeks, there'll be a new music episode, I promise. And I think what we got coming up here on the next episode is another Fallen episode. We're catching up pretty well. So if you enjoy those episodes, that's coming up next. Maybe like a midweek bonus or something. So I'm going to get out of here. Please go to cnjradio.com where you find the links to the Facebook and the Twitter and all that great stuff. And, of course, every episode ever of Rock Strikes 10, not just the one on iTunes, all 202 episodes now. So, yeah, you can play that shit on your phone, in the car, and, you know, at your utmost convenience. All right. And special thanks to Tino Fella for curating this episode. You're the man, Tino. Keep the emails coming. I love them. And uh, you're a friend of mine. All right. And special thanks, of course, also to Pete and the guys from Spacebeard for the amazing outro song. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband for more information and tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. And until the next one, everybody out there, all your friends, have fun. <laughs>